Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Andrew Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. Today is another Wealth in the Bible segment where we look at notable stewardship of God's people in Scripture. You remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector who climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see? God saved him that day, and his stewardship changed forever. Jesus himself made that declaration, and the Bible says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. We'll look at the parable of the ten minus today on The Whole Steward. Well, this is episode number eight, and I'm so thankful for your listenership. I didn't get any questions from last week, at least not yet, so we won't be doing any of those. But if you have questions, comments, or concerns, please send them in to me. I would love to answer them on the show. Last week, we looked at lenders and debtors. We looked at it from a biblical Christian worldview and saw a little bit of a deep dive on our currency and how that works. We want to understand what we are using and investing in on a daily basis so that we can do a good job in it. I would remind you that we have many different forms of capital that we have under our stewardship at any given time. And you can think of these as different buckets of capital, different forms that can be converted from one to another. There's nine of them, as I've talked about previously. And those are spiritual capital, living, intellectual, experiential, social, cultural, material, financial, and time. We can see how we exchange one for another, and we invest sometimes heavily in one, pouring other ones into that one. For example, when I go to work and I take my body, my hands to type on the keyboard, and my skills, my experience, and what I know intellectually. And when I'm working as a computer programmer, I combine all those things, also my time and my relationships, my social capital, and even material and finances, to combine all those things and produce computer code for my company. The company I work for really appreciates that, and they pay me money in return. I take that money and then I might spend it on food for my family or gas to drive to church. You can see how investing spiritually requires these other forms of capital. I take everything that I combined and invest that in a vehicle and the fuel to get to church for that prayer meeting or that service where the saints can be edified and we can learn about God together. You cannot separate how I manage my earthly possessions from the implications that feed into my spiritual growth. They all work together, and there are nine forms of capital, and today we'll be looking at Zacchaeus from a holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview, and he became a Christian that day, so I'm excited to jump in. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, speaking of Jesus, He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. 
So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And he wasn't just any tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He was working for Rome. And Rome was occupying Jerusalem and the region of Judea. And the Romans wanted their cut of the wealth. Zacchaeus would have been an enemy of the people of Israel. They would have seen him as a traitor. He was collecting the taxes that were sent to the Roman emperor. And he would have been seen as a sinner. He would have been an outcast of the people, of society. He would have been in the same boat of the people's mind as adulterers, sinners, and just the riffraff and the problems of society. So not only was he a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. The tax collectors had to collect a certain amount for Rome. Above and beyond that was what they collected as their own livelihood. So they would upcharge the people in taxes. However, the tax collectors would often gouge the people and upcharge them tremendously above what Rome was collecting. Perhaps this was how he became rich, or perhaps he was because he was a chief tax collector. He was managing a business with employees under him, and he had just worked himself up in the ranks. Now, the interesting thing here is that he was seeking to see Jesus. He wanted to see who he was. There was a lot of hubbub in the town about Jesus coming through Jericho, and so he wanted to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowds, he could not because he was small in stature. So this is a short little guy, and he can't see over all the crowds. There is a lot of motivation here. Remember, he's a chief among the tax collectors, but he does something that was probably something that maybe children would have done. He runs over, and he climbs up a sycamore tree to see him. Why was he climbing in the sycamore tree? He wanted to see Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the Son of Man. He's God incarnate walking on this earth. He brings salvation. And so Zacchaeus wanted to see him, for he was about to pass that way. What an opportunity, and he didn't want to miss it. Jesus, as he was passing that way, he came to the place. He looked up and he said to him, look at this, he knows his name already. He says, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Isn't that interesting? Jesus knows who he is. He knows his name. 
and he already knows what he's going to tell him to do, and he tells him that he must stay at your house today. This is a divine appointment. God is sovereign over salvation. He knows the people who are his, and he directly addresses him and says, I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus obeys and immediately hurries and comes down and receives him joyfully. Here is a rich man who is a sinner, who recognizes his sinfulness, wants to see Jesus, and hosts him as a guest. And he received him into his house. So now Jesus has a house to stay at. He says, I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus immediately starts using his earthly possessions to house the Lord of glory, to invest in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says at a different time, whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So this is salvific work in the heart of Zacchaeus, and his actions are portraying what is being done in his heart. However, there are those who, when they saw it, were grumbling. And why is that? Well, the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, hated Jesus because of the teaching. But also, the people, when they saw it, would have grumbled as well because Zacchaeus was their enemy. They said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus' actions were showing what was happening in his heart. God had saved him, and his actions were changing because of it. It was not his actions that were the reason for him being saved, but rather the fact that he had received Christ. That is what saves. He will forgive your sins and call you one of his own. And this is what was happening to Zacchaeus. The way that he was managing his wealth was a sign of what had happened in his heart. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So Zacchaeus is suddenly becoming a generous man. The implication here was that he was not a generous man. And how could he be? He was a tax collector for Rome. But now Christ had gotten a hold of his heart. It was changed. And he is managing his wealth in a manner that is consistent with, for example, the teaching of Paul later, that the wealthy would be generous and ready to share. Not only that, but he's complying with the spirit of the scripture, which says in Exodus to restore fourfold or fivefold, depending on the type of thing that was stolen. So Zacchaeus is saying, Lord, I want to make it right. The financial mismanagement and the defrauding that I've done, I want to restore it. I want to now deal equitably in my finances. He started with housing Jesus and then started giving away his goods and not trusting in his earthly possessions for his satisfaction and giving to those who are in need. So these are all examples of him using his finances and his material possessions, maybe his time and his connections to invest in things of eternal value, to obey the Lord of glory in his management of what God had given him. 
and he was doing that very well. So we see how his stewardship changed in an instant. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus did not say this because of what Zacchaeus had done with his money or because of his good works in his stewardship. Jesus said this about him because everyone was witnessing the evidence of salvation. And Jesus wanted to clarify that this is because salvation came to this house. The reason was because he was a son of Abraham. You cannot make yourself a son of Abraham. You cannot do that on your own. God is the one who works salvation in your heart. He had done this for Zacchaeus, using it as an example that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This guy would have been probably the last one on the list of people to save They were very much on the track of your good works and what you do and how you behave is what gets you into the kingdom of heaven. And certainly this man would have been last in line. But Jesus is the one who saves. It's a divine miracle. It's an amazing story. And you can see the salvation of a man who is a sinner and his stewardship instantly changed, but it was because his heart had changed. And God did this, and God receives the glory for it. So this is the rich sinner who was saved, Zacchaeus, the short little man who climbed the sycamore tree. Now, immediately after that, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. So Jesus is there, and he's going to tell a parable. Let me read the whole verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Here we see that the people were thinking, oh, the kingdom of God is coming right now. And we've seen, even today, people who would say this, like, he's coming back on such and such a day, you know, sell all your goods and sit up in your on your housetop in your pajamas and waiting for the Lord to return and just sell it all and it, it, nothing on this earth matters anymore, and we're God's going to just bring us up into the kingdom, and this is it. That is not the case, at least not yet. Nobody knows the day or the hour. And so Jesus, seeing the dynamics of this situation, he tells a parable. And some will say, well, this is not about money. I'll show you when we come back how it's not limited to that, but it still does involve money. We'll look at the parable of the ten minus next on The Whole Steward. Hey there, it's Andrew. I pour a lot into The Whole Steward, and I'm so humbled you're listening. Did you know I regularly post new articles to our website? I also send the Holistic Approach to Wealth newsletter once a week to which you can subscribe at thewholesteward.com slash newsletter. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the show, would you share it with a friend or leave us a review? I'd really appreciate it. Oh, and thanks for listening. As we look at this parable, the parable of the ten minas, 
I want you to understand that Jesus often told parables that had a financial or economic component. That is not to say that the parable or the meaning of it is necessarily about finances. However, Jesus did teach on finances, and I think in the context here, it definitely has a financial component because we saw how Zacchaeus and his actions were changed by the work of salvation in his heart. And the actions that were specifically pointed out by Scripture were economic. They were financial evidences of his salvation. So they're trying to understand what the meaning of this behavior is and the context of when the kingdom of God is going to come. I think sometimes when we read a parable in our modern language, we can lose the insight that the people would have had, and it would have been very obvious to them. The word I'm talking about is mina. What is a mina? Well, that is a Greek measurement of weight. As best I can tell, it would have been about three to four months wages for a laborer. So how can we translate this into our own modern language so that we don't miss the sense of the parable? What I've done is I've looked at census.gov at the median income for a household in the United States. That's where I'm at. You can do this for your own country if you're not in the United States. The reason I like a median is because it's different than an average. The median is the middle point where half of the incomes are above this number and half of them are below. The average could be thrown off by everybody making $2 a day and then one person making $500 million a day. The average is going to be somewhere above the $2 a day and below the $500 million a day, but it doesn't really give you any insight into how many people are above or below. So let's use the median. In 2021, according to census.gov, the median household income was $70,784 a year. Now, that is the 2021 number, and it may not be exactly accurate, so let's just say it's about $71,000. And if you look at three to four months' wages, that would be about $20,000. So, What I'd like to do is as I read the parable, I'm going to read it in U.S. dollars. And you'll see that the parable takes on a very interesting tone. When he's talking about the financial amounts here, they make more sense in our terms today. This is being recorded in 2023. Let's assume that about three to four months wages is about $20,000. Starting in Luke 19 verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them $20,000 and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, 
he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your $20,000 has made $200,000 more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a little, you shall have authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Lord, your $20,000 has made $100,000. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your $20,000, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you were a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put the money in the bank? And at my coming I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the twenty thousand from him, and give it to the one who has the two hundred thousand. And they said to him, Lord, he has two hundred thousand dollars. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, Bring them here and slaughter them before me. So what did you think about the reading with today's dollars? You kind of get a sense of what the people might have been thinking as they were hearing this. There is a lot in this parable, and I'm going to move fairly quickly through it. Now keep in mind, this story would have hit close to home because what Rome had done was set up puppet kings in the areas of Judea. So for example... The Herods that were reigning were kings that Rome had set up. And this is exactly what had happened when Archelaus, the son of Herod the Great, had gone to Rome to be made Tetrarch of Judah. You know, you see here the Jews sent a delegation after him. Well, that's exactly what happened. And they didn't want him to reign over them. However, the point I want to draw out of the parable here for us is not as much the politics that were happening at the time, which the parable may very well have been based on, but rather the stewardship of the servants of the nobleman. In the parable, the nobleman is God himself, and he goes into a far country. That is, Jesus going back to heaven to receive the kingdom He will reign forever. When he returns, he will reign forever. But in the meantime, he calls his servants and gives them various amounts of capital. The things that he gives his servants are spiritual blessings and the spiritual capital that we need to invest in and know our Lord and Savior more and more every day. However, He also gives us physical things on this earth to be his stewards. God wants us to engage in economics. You cannot say that God would be happy if you 
sold everything you had, sat on the roof in your pajamas, and said, I'm just going to pray until the Lord returns. That is not what God wants us to do. He wants us to engage in business. This is not only the physical economics, but also the business of the kingdom, being about the teaching of God's word, the learning of God's word, the praying, the fellowship, all the things that bring him glory as Christians. This includes all of it. Now, if you are a businessman, this will hit close to home as well, though, because you have capital at your disposal. And you need to invest it for the kingdom of God. You need to be thinking about how you bring glory to him on a daily basis. So let's move through the text briefly and we'll just point out a few things. The nobleman goes into the far country to receive for himself a kingdom and he calls ten of his servants. This would have been bond servants or slaves, the equivalent of a slave who willingly committed himself to working for a master because possibly because of a debt he had to pay or because sometimes being the servant or the slave of a master, you lived a much better life than if you tried to make it on your own. So these slaves or these servants would have willingly committed themselves to bondage to a master and would often lead a better life because of it. Slaves could even own property and they could buy their freedom if they were successful enough. So he calls his servants together and he gives them $20,000 apiece. Now, in the text it says he gave them 10 minas. The assumption here is that it was one mina per person. That is about the equivalent of $20,000. It's not necessarily a large sum of money, but it's also not trivial. It's not like he gave them a buck, you know, and said, go do business. He gave them a chunk of capital. And what does he say? He says, engage in business until I come. Isn't that interesting? He gives you a little bit of health and a little bit of knowledge, some experiences and some relationships. He gives you a cultural heritage. He gives you material possessions and finances. He gives you time to do things with those. And he wants us, he wants you, he wants me to engage in business. And this doesn't necessarily always mean financial business or a business that necessarily makes money, although I think it definitely does apply because you cannot say that God wants you to not engage in business. The scripture is very clear that he wants us to work. He wants us to create value. He wants us to participate in economics with one another. He wants us to love each other. He wants us to live according to his commandments. And many of his commandments have to do with how we deal with one another on a daily basis. So businessmen, if you are working to create value for people, think about how you can best do it to bring God glory because he is the nobleman that is expecting you to do this with what he's given you. Now his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Basically, I think he's referring here to the fact that the Jews did not want Christ. Remember, they rejected him as Messiah, by and large. And they didn't want Christ to reign over them. And so the nobleman, who is now in a far country, has been told, we don't want you. However, the text reads, when he returned... 
Having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants, to whom he had given the money, to be called to him, that he might know what had been gained by doing business. So the Lord comes back and he says, I want to know what you did with my $20,000. What did you do? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he gives each person $20,000, or he gives each person a certain set of intellectual capabilities, or relationships. We are all in a different situation. However, you kind of get a sense of the amounts that he was talking about there. And it would have been very clear to the people, okay, you know, this is a chunk of change, but it's not, it's not necessarily that much. And when the first one comes and says, hey, look, I've made $200,000 with this. That is a healthy profit. God is saying he likes you to make profit. He wants you to make profit. He wants you to do business. He does not want you to sit on the money and not do anything with it. However, look at the reward that he gives for that $200,000 that the guy had made. He says, you will be over 10 cities. What? 10 cities? God is a generous God. He does not deal in earthly terms. He looks for faithfulness in a very little. No matter what we feel like it may be that he's given us to manage, we need to do a good job with it. And you never know. The nobleman has the authority to put someone who turned $20,000 into $200,000 over 10 cities. This could be anything from the missionary who you know, goes into the heart of Africa and shares the gospel with the people. Certainly, they need to be good stewards of the physical capabilities and needs to get there and then share the gospel. This also goes for the businessman who is in America and operating in the American economy. You need to operate within the parameters that God has laid out in his word, and that brings him glory. The next servant comes and says, Look, your $20,000 has made $100,000. Even then, that is a good amount of profit. You see him doing business, doing what God wanted him to do. But again, the reward doesn't seem to correlate. Five cities he was put over? Well, the nobleman has the authority to do that. You don't know what God or how God will reward you. You need to be faithful because it belongs to him. These are his resources that he's given to you for a short amount of time. But then we come to the servant who did not make any money. He did not do any business. He did not utilize the capital that God had given him for the time that he was away. Verse 20, Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your 20,000, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. Isn't that interesting? There's a possibility that you may have done this at some point. I know that we have a concept of this where we call putting it under your mattress. Isn't that interesting? You stash the money, the capital, under your mattress. Is that what God wants you to do with your money? Is that what God wants you to do with your talents? Is that what God wants you to do with your intellect or your bodies? Is that what he wants you to do with your relationships or your culture? Is that what he wants you to do with your finances or your time? You see how this goes beyond just money, although it includes it, 
And it goes beyond just spiritual implications. You cannot say, well, it's only about spiritual things and then cut out the other eight forms of capital. God has many, many things to say about all those forms of capital and how we as believers are to be handling them. So really try to wrap your mind around this holistic approach to wealth because it is very important to recognize that God cares about all of them. Now, look at the reason why he had put this away in a handkerchief, the 20,000 under his mattress. He says, For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. Now, have you ever had a chunk of change that you were afraid to do something with because maybe you were afraid to lose it? I mean, this guy was afraid of his master and he didn't want to lose it. And the master says, Look, you shouldn't have been afraid. You knew that I reap where I didn't sow. You knew that I reap the benefits of what my servants do for me. And you should have been doing what brings me honor. He comes and says, Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. Now you might say, Okay, look, this... Jesus is not talking about money here. You should have put your spiritual blessings in the bank and grown those. Again, I come back to this. You cannot say, okay, I gave away all my money, so I'm literally dirt poor and completely broke. I don't even have money to buy my kids food tonight, but, oh, I'm going to invest my spiritual blessings in the heavenly places with Christ. No, this includes how you manage your finances. It includes how you manage your relationships and your living capital your, it, all the way down. So, you should have put it in the bank so that he might have collected it with interest. God wants to see you produce fruit. He wants you to make a profit. If you come to the end of your life and you say, Well, Lord, I'm presenting to you exactly what I started with. You gave me about 20000 and here it is. The 20000 back. It's yours. Take what's yours. That's not what God wants to see. He wants to see you come back to him having produced more than what he has given you and being faithful in whatever he has given you, whether a lot or a little. The whole thing about collecting interest in the bank, it's hard to correlate that to today's terms because our interest rates today on savings accounts are basically zero so it's kind of the equivalent of putting your money under the mattress. You do about as well. If you took $20,000 and stuck it under your mattress and came back you know, a year later, you would have almost about the same as if you had stuck that $20,000 in the bank and came back a year later. It's about the equivalent right now. So we need to, as Christians, come to our monetary system and our society that we're participating in and realize where the correlations are. If you're making no interest in the bank, that's the same as keeping it under your mattress. In this case, the nobleman wanted the people to collect interest. And at a minimum, he could have just handed it to somebody else who knew how to make a profit with it, which would have been the bankers, and then he could have collected interest. Either way, this is not a good thing that the servant was presenting exactly what the nobleman had given him when he left, he says, you wicked servant. And so he says, take the 20,000 from him 
and give it to the one who has 200,000. Have you ever noticed in life that those who tend to do well in investing and they tend to do well in their business, it just seems like more business kind of flows to them? You know, you might say, well, the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Well, partially because God wants to see you doing a good job with what he's given you. In some cases, he will take the blessings that he's given to an unfaithful servant and give it to one who's going to be faithful with it and not squander it. And that doesn't matter whether it's finances or if it's time or material or or your social relationships or your experience, your your knowledge, your living capital, your body, any of these things which all have spiritual implications from that spiritual capital bucket, those things you will notice in life will be taken from those who mismanage them and given to those who will manage them well. And Jesus gives the reason why. He says, I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, this is at the final judgment not necessarily during this life, although God can render those types of results at any given time. If you mismanage anything that God has given you in your life today, it very likely will be taken away from you. And you cannot sit there and wonder, well, why did that happen? So think about what you're doing to engage in business. That doesn't necessarily mean it's only about finances or the work that you're doing, but it includes that. And it includes what you do with your family and what you do with your friends and what you do at church. All these things. How are you serving God with what he's given you? How are you bringing him glory? How are you bringing the nobleman more glory by being a faithful servant? Think about it this way. None of it belongs to us anyways. In a sense, we are debtors. Because... Everything that we have is loaned to us by him for a short amount of time. We need to do a good job with it. We need to take care of those things that he has given us. And we need to do business on his behalf. And we need to return it with interest. We need to cultivate what he's given us to return to him more than what he gave us. And then he finishes, But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Do not think for a minute that the final judgment will be easy or pleasant for those who dishonor God. It will not. It simply will not. He is faithful and just. He is righteous in all his judgments. There is nothing that is hidden that will not be brought to the light. So, Be a man or woman of integrity. Bring glory to the nobleman. Bring glory to God. Be a faithful servant with what he's given you. Whether it's $20,000 and you turn it into $200,000 or $100,000, these are just examples. They're not meant to be precise numbers, but to portray the concept of what you are to be doing with what God has given you. Don't squander it. Don't mismanage it. Don't bury it or stick it under a mattress. Do a good job with it. Next week, I want to show you how you can make a better return in an investment vehicle that is a favorite of mine. 
most wealthy people either start or end their wealth in this vehicle, and that is real estate. You interact with real estate on a daily basis. Everyone, everywhere, all the time is interacting with some sort of real estate at any given time. And there is a very large breadth of real estate. I'll show you my favorite kind. It doesn't have to be your favorite kind, but I'll show you how you can calculate some healthy returns in a very simple business model next week on The Whole Steward. Now that you know more, go out and grow more. All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy. So you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions. Thanks for joining us today for the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.